Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Insurgency Counterinsurgency. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. Tonight is Monday, May 19th in the year 2022. Tonight we're going to dig into a little bit of the reality that we're facing and trying to take this nation back in framing it in terms of warfare, in the terms of insurgencies and counterinsurgencies and what's at stake to really win. Before we begin tonight, make sure you're getting your good night's sleep. It's just so essential. And the best place to get those products to make sure you're getting a good night's sleep is my pillow. I have a message here from Mike Lindell. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and as you know, my passion is to help each and every one of you get the best sleep of your life. That's why I created my new Giza Dreams bed sheets. I started by using the world's best cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. I guarantee you they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. I do not like my sheets. I love Mikey's a dream sheet. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you can buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or you can get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to mypillow.com. Use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products. Wow, breaking, breaking. That's the buy one, get one free offer at my pillow and you can use your promo code bards b-a-r-d-s head on over to mypillow.com forward slash bards that's our bards nation's landing page just for us and you'll find all those amazing specials of buy one get one free and you can use their promo code bards b-a-r-d-s you can also use that promo code on frankspeech.com and my and the mystore.com but the main feature of these sales right now is mypillow.com and of course if you want to speak to a breathing human being a Patriot Pillow Counselor, you can call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939, and use your promo code BARDS, and they will hook you up, and you will not be disappointed. Sleep is critical in this war. So get a good night's sleep and get your products from my pillow. All right, Patriots, we got some stuff to talk about tonight. There's some crazy stuff to talk about tonight. In On the date of 20... 20 November 4th we experienced what is rightfully called the color revolution and by definition it was an insurgency that took hold of the country now an insurgency typically is seen as an armed rebellion against a constituted authority an insurgency is often violent it's an armed rebellion it's 
waged by a small, lightly armed bands who participate in guerrilla warfare primarily in rural base areas. The key descriptive features of insurgency is it's an asymmetric nature. Small, irregular forces, which is key, face a large, well-equipped, regular military force, a state adversary. And due to the asymmetric asymmetry, the insurgents avoid large-scale direct battles, opting instead to blend in with civilian population when they gradually expand territorial control and military forces. Insurgency frequently hinges on the control of and collaboration with local populations. Well, that's not exactly how this one went because we're in the age of the fifth generation or fifth dimension of warfare. And the fifth dimension of warfare is an or warfare that's run primarily through influence and perception. It's a psyop war, a psy war. What this insurgency had at its control was that it was it controlled the elements of information. They controlled the domains of economics. They controlled the domains of legal, educational, political, and what we've also come to understand, religion and faith and communication. Proportionally, there's more of us than them. And so this is, does fit the insurgency model in that they took over the United States with a small group of people, and they hit very, very hard on November 4th. Matter of fact, on November 3rd and November 4th, they launched everything. They had been seeding it. They'd been setting it up. But the illusion for most of us in this nation that were supporting Trump is that we thought we had the upper hand. We thought that through the Q program and the Great Awakening, that we had the informational domains taken care of, and that we had the momentum to win the election. What we didn't anticipate was the magnitude of insurgency that would launch everything possible to overthrow an election and then quickly and rapidly use its people within the government and within these other domains to seize control and to use literally all means necessary to take down the United States. And that's exactly what happened. We no longer live currently in the United States. We live in an occupied country. And we're occupied by leadership that's being controlled and manipulated by foreign powers and corporate elites. Nobody in these elites has any allegiance to us or this Constitution. And in fact, the Constitution, though by definition, was suspended in 2001 with the Patriot Act, it officially is gone. And these are important points to understand because in order to win an insurgency with a counterinsurgency, you have to understand the nature of what you're actually living in. Probably one of my personal frustrations over the last few years, in particular the last 18 months, has been the unwillingness of people to accept the reality of where we are. We are in an occupied nation. We have been in a state of war easily since 2012 probably more like 2008 when Obama took, first took power. And Americans are continuing to struggle with that reality. It's getting better. And I think that some of the recent reveals that are coming out are starting to wake people up to the reality. But here's the kind of key of this. An insurgency only needs about a 10% core. In fact, usually when you deal with an insurgency, the insurgency has about 
2 to 3% of a dedicated hardcore element that then has around it approximately 7%. So they constitute about 10%. But that other 7% are affiliated. They're very loyal. But the hardcore diehard element sits within about 2% of the population. The 10% body, though, that constitutes the insurgency is very critical because that 10%, when when it has the control of key nodes within a country and ours, and as I've just listed them, governmental, informational, economic, legal, educational, and then with it, the as we've learned, there's other influence elements they've had between communication and, and faith and corporate as a whole. Once they were able to strike and seize control, that 10% was able to create a 20% additional following. These are rough numbers, but this is typically how an insurgency works. Because they acquiesce to this power and they, they go along with the group. So the insurgency rapidly grows from its 2% to a 10% when it launches to about 30% of the population once it gets a foothold. And the problem with that 30% is it gets strong enough that a country like we are right now that lacks, has lacked, I'll say it that way, has lacked a strong foundation in its roots and what we stand for. Very important principles. The left, or we'll call them progressives, have understood the entire time what they're fighting for. It's been very clear in their mind. They may not understand where they're going, but they understand what they're fighting for. They're fighting to take down the United States at any cost. They want the destruction of this nation. And they want a society that for better, for lack of a better term, they want a society that constitutes a socialist republic, which ultimately defines down to a free shit society. And as long as it's free and they get it free, they're happy. So that's, they're anti-capitalistic. They're anti-constitution. They're anti-white, even though most of them are white. They're anti-privileged. They're anti-billionaire, even though they're run by billionaires. They're, they're laden with hypocrisies, but they're wrapped around these anti-issues, and they're very focused on what they're trying to achieve. They're zeroed in on one crit- critical thing, take down the United States. So that 30%, which is ex- becomes an extremely intense, the 10% is highly volatile. It's vicious, and it's, it's violent. It brings about an additional 20% which follow them, and though they're not as extreme, they're obedient. And that then brings apart another part of the society, which is about another 30% of the people swing into their camp because they're weak and feckless. And unfortunately, we have a lot of weak and feckless people in this nation. And a lot of that comes from a weak and feckless pulpit that we have in this nation. So we get to a a mass of people, which is about 60% acquiesce into the acceptance of the insurgency as just part of the process. And in order to get them themselves feeling, to rationalize themselves through it, they'll say things like, well, Trump just didn't win the election. It just, and they don't want to believe that there was election rigging. They just look at this current event as, oh, it's unfortunate. I can't believe we're here in this country. 
they'll still mumble under their breath with a lot of the, oh, I wish we hadn't been here. I wish we could have had this, all this would have, could have, should have garbage. And they're basically a neutered group. When you add the layers of fear, which are, have been instrumental in this insurgency, and obviously one of the great fears besides the violent fear that Antifa and BLM invoked with their burning down of cities and beating of people, and then the highlighting of those instances through the media to focus on that. The institu- 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 I can't even speak tonight. The institution of fear is critical throughout this entire process. And of course, then they use that in the pandemic. And the pandemic was critical because it created another level of fear. And when you have fear, people collapse. They have no strength. They give in to the state. They give up everything to get out of fear. And we've seen that happen. And this is how it all kind of was used between the pandemic, the pandemic, and the issue of the need to have a shot and injection, the bioweapon. And this other nonsense of the election fraud, which they don't want to believe, you end up with about 60% of the public that just acquiesces to where we are. And why is that number critical? Because remember what I said, it only took about 10% of the population to initiate this insurgency. But now they've taken control. And the country is an occupied country by a hostile force that seeks no good for the United States or anybody that counters them. What we're in now is kind of a new domain of warfare because they have now become the occupying force of the nation. They were the insurgency that caused it. We are now into the counterinsurgency. Acronym for that is COIN. Something I spent a lot of years training and doing. That was also, I was a trainer at the Counterinsurgency Institute in Kabul for a while. This is, we are considered non-state actors, meaning we're not aligned with the government. We have an occupying force and our attempt here is to win this country back through the winning the hearts and minds as a term. And the critical elements of a counterinsurgency is that it has to start local and in small groups, and it has to start from bottom up. You can have a top-down model on this, meaning the government can be doing that, but it, the, the real successful counterinsurgency will be small guerrilla bands now that start in local areas, start to organize, and the critical powers of critical elements in this are people coming to the awareness of what's happened to them and then to use truth as a mobilizer. And most importantly, in successful counterinsurgencies, local communities come together to reclaim their sovereignties. And right now, that is the process we've been in. But one of the big elements of the counterinsurgency has to be that you have to awaken a whole lot more than 10%. The 10%, once they've seized control, seed their people across the entire domain of, of leadership. And it becomes increasingly difficult to root them out because they begin to make the rules. They begin to use the forces to enforce the rules. They become judge and jury. And in the process of that, 
they are protecting their, themselves as they push and steer a nation into its new design. And the longer that they stay in power, uncontested, and the more that that mass of feckless people acquiesce to their threat and fear, the more powerful they become. Now, we've had a great advantage here. And it, the real spark of this began with two things, which was the election of President Donald J. Trump and the Q program. Those two things were massive sparks in getting the counterinsurgency prepared. And whoever was running the Q program knew we would be, in my opinion, absolutely knew we would be where we are today. And regardless of what you feel about the Q program today, the one thing that is undisputable, in my opinion, is that had it not been for the Q program, nobody would have been looking and digging and preparing for an information war like we are in right now. This information war is what's critical to the win. And we've had a lot of fantastic inroads in, in doing this, but the critical part of this is numbers and it's sentiment. And sentiment is a word you really need to understand and get to appreciate what sentiment really is. Sentiment analysis, in a, in a broad term, is the use of natural language processing, text analysis, computational linguistics, and biometrics to systematically identify, extract, quantify, and study effective states and subjective information. Sentiment analysis is widely applied across many domains, including surveys, online and social media, et cetera, et cetera. And it's heavily used in marketing. Now, what's the key of sentiment? Sentiment is getting the flavor and tenor of where a public sits. And remember what I said. After the election, the majority of, a, a, a majority of Americans acquiesce to the acceptance, the sentiment, the sentiment that Joe Biden won. And that was reflective in polls, and it was reflective in the overall state of the Union. And the state of the Union basically accepted the insurgency as a normal state of process of elections because we had way too many people that were afraid of losing, in my opinion, too many people just too consumed with their convenient way of life to unwilling to accept that we were at a state of war. And those that were agreement with the insurgency became as dangerous as those that led the insurgency. And there's many on both sides of that camp, whether you are, whether you were conservative or whether a person was considered liberal or progressive or even independents, many people just accepted it. So in order to defeat an insurgency, once an insurgency, like I said, gets hold, 10% drive it typically, you gain a body of about 30% in all, and that becomes a powerful engine in changing a nation. And then again, like I said, you have about 30% that join in, sometimes as high as 40, and you end up with a significant amount of control and influence, both by the diehards and those that are just accept the state of the state of the union as it is. And so to overcome that, you need a dedicated core of counterinsurgents that are going to work aggressively at many levels, but in particular locally, to start rooting out and changing the sentiment of people to get them aware of the fact that they are now in a state far from where they thought they were. And it 
a successful counterinsurgency isn't political by nature. Successful counterinsurgency is going to be focused on the ideological strengths that keep people clear and understanding what the real fight is. Our ideological strength, our greatest ideological strength is our constitution and our declaration of independence and also our foundations in faith, Christian faith, not Judeo-Christian faith. That Whoever writes that garbage, and I even said it, I've said it in my past, but I, it's garbage. It's, we're, we're a Christian-based society. So when we start to get clear on those perspectives, we start to understand very clearly what it is we're fighting for and what it is we've lost. The problem coming into this fight is we were fighting for what? And that's a, by definition, most people can't tell you. That was one of the good marketing lines that President Trump had, which was make America great again. We could see that we were trying to get back to something. But once he lost, Make America Great Again didn't have an ideological root that stuck. It just became a group of people, MAGA. And then there was the Q movement. But where we have to get back to is the principles of who we are. American patriots understand, by our history, understood what they were. They were fighting for liberty. They were fighting for God-given rights. And they were fighting for a principle to not be controlled by foreign powers to live free. That's principally where, we're, where we've returned to. And the more that we can get a grasp on what we're fighting for, the faster this will grow in strength and resolve in what we will be able to do in the counter movement. But there's been a lot of wringing of hands of wondering when we would see a counter movement. And you've heard me say here for several years now that their only real plan is us. It's not an outside power because by definition of a counterinsurgency, you don't have an outside power that comes in and sweeps in the day and leads you and takes care of you. You do have people that work together, some people more experienced than others. Typically, in a, in a counterinsurgency model, you might have military advisors that come in. You might have special forces teams. But in this counterinsurgency environment in the United States, we have that, but it's just not defined by uniform. There are some people that have led the voice strong influence voices on informational spaces, people with good information and understanding of what it is to run a counterinsurgency. You've had people working every domain from informational to legal. Tom Renz is a good example to food. We had uh, Mark Baker on the other day as a good example of that. Resistance Chicks, the model we've been working here on is county by county getting back to control of food sovereignty. We've had the push for and the rise of homeschooling. Many of these domains we're taking back and taking control. These are all elements of this counterinsurgency. And what it's doing is it's awakening people to what was lost and simultaneously fortifying what will be won, what we're fighting for and what there is to win, critical aspects. So I want to kind of go over the magnitude of this insurgency that hit us and I also want to give you kind of an insight as to how successful to date the counterinsurgency has been. But before we do that, I want you to get this number in your head. Sentiment, sentiment, key. The, the view of how people see the current state of affairs was, again, around 50 to 60% accepting of the Biden administration. 
when you see those poll numbers drop with Biden, we're now he's down to like 34%. That's very critical because the flip means that 68% or so of people now are not accepting Biden as president. And it's probably worse than that because those are media polls. But for a counterinsurgency to work in this nation, in a developed country, not a country that's been ravaged by war, but in a developed nation like this, you need to get sentiment upwards of 70 and probably closer to 80% before you have enough momentum to crush the insurgency. Think about that. That means we have to move from the pivot where we were in 2020, November 4th to about January 20th of 2020 and 2021. The nation was at 60% in the camp of Biden. There was probably within there about a 10% of of non-committed and about 30% dedicated to the fact that we needed to take this country back. Where we are today is rather phenomenal because that move has been, that pivot has happened now to where I would say we're probably at around 68 to 75% in that range of people now that are accepting that we need to take this country back. That's phenomenal. But that's been the effect of massive informational warfare from a guerrilla standpoint and from getting people to awaken. So let's go over this magnitude of this insurgency that we were hit with. And this insurgency was, by design, was intended to overwhelm and completely break the will of the people. It covered media, medical, economic, food, legal, educational, political, religion, communication, and its centerpiece of engine, its centerpiece of of its fight was intimidation and fear. Now let's kind of look at what's happened in our nation because it's quite amazing when we look at what has happened in the counterinsurgency movement. So once the insurgency took hold, we already had the beginnings of a lot of this, but the momentum over the last 18 months has been stellar. The media insurgency has been met by a grassroots media counter movement. And includes everything from this channel to many other Patriot channels out there that are innumerable, that there's so many, and we've adapted so well to the communication censoring that we've been able to bypass their, their formation of censorship. We've adapted, and we've continued to produce and push out informational assaults to keep the information flow going and keeping people informed, aware, connected is a huge one, and giving them the foundation for people to continue to research and dig and share truth. Truth is a centerpiece of destroying any insurgency. In the aspect of medical, that included the COVID pandemic, the hospitals, the complete buy-in by, to the submission of or submission to pharmaceutical as the country was put through a, an excoriating and very painful attack of injecting with bioweapons and subjugating to the willful slave, slaves of masks. The small core of people that held strong on that movement, which no matter how, where you are in a fight, I will tell you, if you have been one of those, which I hope all of you were, one of those that has never worn a mask, or I shouldn't say, you know, there's probably once or twice you wore a mask, but you know what I'm saying, and never complied with the mask issue, and never took the shot, you were part of a very critical element in this counterinsurgency to wake people up. Massive. And what that led to was a greater understanding of health that we no longer needed them. 
so much of the counterinsurgency movement has happened textbook in that you begin to realize that you not only don't want to be part of the state or the insurgency, you no longer need to be, and you begin to gain strength. And the medical piece, this, this medical insurgency that we were in, thrust in or it was thrust upon us has been a very difficult one to break because there's been so much formation and so, di- so many channels that were blocked, but it's been fantastic to see as it evolves. We've gone back to natural remedies, fundamental issues of just like taking care of your body with supplements and good diet, back to decent exercise programs, and real critical to all of this, and this will tie in later again, but is prayer and faith because people have gotten back to a spiritual center to understand that, that health is also spiritually rooted. And this is really important because the left has, this leftist progressive movement has built its foundation on anti-faith, anti-religion. And so we have seen through the COVID pandemic a reawakening of the need and to seek out and find faith by many. Economic warfare has been another difficult one because they've squeezed jobs. Uh, also with the pandemic, there have been jobs that have been lost. They've destroyed incomes destroyed businesses, but what we've seen within this, and this is still nascent in its development, but it's growing rapidly. We've seen alternative economies starting to build up, people being more dedicated to buying to Patriot-type companies, buying local or buying with American corporations, limiting their, reducing their expenditures to a certain degree. And not all these numbers will line up economically if you read the stats but we're seeing it happen enough in the breakaway economies that we're starting to see a developing engine there and people becoming much more aware of the need to, to live local, buy local, and, and support local. That's, that's a big awakening, though it's not, fully, it's not in its full steam of this fight, but it's emerging. Food warfare has been a most recent attack we've had with the burning down of of food processing plants that somehow miraculously we're discovering that vegetables are, are very volatile and explosive like potatoes and lettuce and raw milk. I never knew those plants. I never knew those products were so deadly, but we've seen, we've seen full food processing plants continue to burn down as part of the war on food. And with that, we've seen an amazing rise in homesteading, gardening, but small homesteading, from urban homesteading to medium-sized homesteading to large homesteading, we've seen that. We've seen a higher emphasis in buying local and trying to find avenues for food, stocking up on food, building relationships with local in your local communities, which includes building tribe networks and helping in your neighborhoods and communities for awareness. That has happened. It's been stellar, and it's been happening for the last year and a half, and it's been an amazing shift. Legal has been a big one as they've attacked this country with every aspect legally and within the power of the people, people have become defiant. There's a really interesting series on a video that came out the other day, even defiant with police officers in a good way, respective way, but a good way, not allowing police officers to get much more reign and control over them. We're seeing citizens standing up to holding their rights. We're looking at the, the emphasis. So again, going back to Mark Baker, you've heard that story recently of the use of constitution of laws versus regulation. The overall education and awareness of our rights has increased massively and people have continued to dig and learn. And there's a long ways to go here because we need to get back to more of a common law and get away from the maritime law. But even those discussions we're having have advanced exponentially in the last 18 months. And so again, informational and knowledge is are the critical issues here. 
in this fight as we start to build up force and power. Education. I think, I don't think anybody saw the corruption or expected to see the corruption in our education institutions that we saw and the ease in which they were collapsed by this insurgency, primarily with the offerings of big money, which was just printed off of paper mills with no substance. And we've seen the absolute, the, the turning of our schools into indoctrination camps. The response to that has been an, a massive growth in homeschooling. Homeschooling from 2020 to 2022 has gone from 2 million to 5 million. 3 million more families now are homeschooling, which is phenomenal. And that's not COVID related. It's related to breaking away from this other. I won't say it wasn't COVID related. It's probably COVID stimulated, but people breaking away from schools. And with that, we're seeing a higher emphasis now in people starting to question college which is really important. Here's a real interesting piece on that specifically of a woman who's talking about sending her child to college and the response to that. Take a listen to this. What is the truth about college for children? Are you going to pay for his college? Yes, I am. Well, then take your four-year vacation, bro. My point of view on college is based on unemotional math. The math is broken. We went through a 50, 60-year period where going to college was ROI positive. If you went to college and got a piece of paper, you would then be able to get the return on that investment because that's how the world worked and we were in the era of corporations having the control. That's not exist. Will he become a well-rounded young man and like all the social things? Let him go twerk in Europe for three months. He'll be way more well-rounded and worldly than sitting in a fucking dorm room playing fucking Call of Duty. <laughs> True statement. And there's much more awareness towards that end of people really being aware that college is a waste of time. They're incubators for more of the same type of insurgency. And so there's a more seeking out of trades and skills. And we're seeing that at many levels, which is fantastic. People are gaining skills. It's super, super important. The political action on this, the political insurgency part of this was massive. Obviously, what we've discovered is it's not that most of us, knew, well, I should say many of us knew this, but we've really become clear that it's one party, two faces. And we're seeing that over and over. I'm going to give you two examples. Here's a 20-second clip from Ted Cruz, and I'll talk about it after you hear it. The kind of angry leftists, many of whom are pretty ignorant and don't even know what overturning Roe means, I think a month afterwards are going to be surprised, wait, nothing about my life changed. That was the framers' view in the Constitution, is to let the, the, the rules in each state reflect the values of the citizens of those states. Well, here's the thing about that is that Ted Cruz is right. We are seeing a massive pivot towards states' rights, which is critical. That's kind of a reset as a default in all of this. And that's another outcome of the truth and the political warfare that's going on. But the other part of this is Roe versus Wade has created another awareness, which is we're starting to really get to the core of our religion and center of the country of literally who we are as a nation. Because as we start to look at how politicians have played off to this Roe versus Wade destruction of 70 million children, and that has become forward to us, 70 million unborn babies destroyed since Roe versus Wade started. That pain and that agony and that stain on our nation is one that has every politician touching that one. So then the political sense of this, this is changing a political tide massively as we start to look at politicians from a different optic returning ourselves both to faith and to questioning the morality of our political leadership, 
of our corporate leadership and even as ourselves in a nation, which is a deep reflection as a moral part of this fight that the left did not anticipate, in my opinion. When you start to develop a moral understanding of where you are as a nation in a counterinsurgency, you start to light the fires of the core things that will never be lost. Counterinsurgencies can't just be fundamentally in detail. They have to have at its center something bigger than them if you really want to win because the insurgency takes advantage of complacency and convenience in a public and apathy. We've had a lot of that in our nation. But the counterinsurgency has to be lit on fire and it has to have a stronger sense of defiance and what it's fighting for. And that is going to center all of us back to God and value of life at the end of the day. And that's one of the critical aspects to this Roe versus Wade issue that's really coming through. Now, I want to touch back on the educational piece here real quick. This is a two-minute piece I want you to hear. It's ugly in a certain way. It's, it's a leftist talking, but I want you to hear what he has to say because, number one, there is some truth in the beginning of this about a perspective on President Trump. But then the arrogance of what he presents is critical, and the ending is going to be an admission which takes us right back to educational because remember who runs the education. It's the left. Trump doesn't have people who fall for his obviously false promises and complete lack of understanding of any issue. If people don't fall for that, Trump's the crazy guy yelling in the New York subway, right? The danger comes from the fact that in the United States, there are so many people who are either not engaged with politics at all that when a celebrity pops up, they go, that sounds kind of good. I know who Trump is. Or they're so, um, they lack knowledge of issues to such a degree that when they hear Trump say, I'm going to fix trade by putting tariffs on China and nobody, Trump doesn't even understand that it's American companies that pay the tariffs. And all Trump starts saying, look at how much we charge China. And then his followers go, we charge China so much. And it's like, guys, it's the American companies that pay the tariffs. So when people don't understand stuff, they fall for people like Trump. In the spirit of a very good faith but honest conversation, Please. can I feed back to you what it sounds like you just said from where I'm sitting? Yes. Which is, Francis was saying to you, there's a large portion of the American public who are so alienated by some of the rhetoric on the left right. that they they went to, they had to resort to voting for Donald Trump. That's his argument. And what you said is, no, that, that isn't really the problem. The problem is Americans are ill-educated and quite stupid and fall for, for Trump's bombastic statements. That's what it sounds like. Did I hear you right? It's a combination of both. Okay. Now, but, here's one thing but, about... But, so but isn't that... All, sorry, David, just to finish this point. Isn't that always the case, though? I mean, it's not like the public got massively more stupid and ill-educated in the last four years, right? Or the last six years. So, well, people have always... I don't know there's about always that. Been... I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know how much you follow American education. Let me put it this way. It's beyond me to deeply dive into that specific niche of this discussion. But I think there are many who would make the case that actually the American public on average has become less educated over time. And the education system is run by the left. So that's a powerful admission. And it was done by design. There's truth in that statement. But there's other deeper truths in this statement, and it's why I wanted you to hear this piece. There's an arrogance on the left, and the arrogance is centered on the fact that they believe in the institution that they are part of. They believe in the insurgency, and they believe in the government. 
And that's part of their worship and part of their iconic and I belief system. One of the powerful strengths of the Patriot movement is the fact that we're questioning everything and realizing that the government that was there is no longer of the people, but of an insurgent minority. And therefore, we are not only questioning, but we're not accepting what we're seeing. That's a powerful strength in waking people up to realize that we need to take this country back because it's not part of what reality is. The air that falls from the arrogance of the left, and they do this all the time, they feel that they are the only educated people in the country. They feel that they have all the knowledge, that they are the ones that can solve the problems for all the people, and that it is always going to be a few that leads the many because the many, as he's already stated, are idiots or stupid because they follow someone like President Trump. They can't accept the fact that there is a rational reason for doing things. It does not fit within their framework of living. It creates a movement that we've had here that has been part of the Great Awakening in a very, very powerful way. So all of this comes then to the piece of religion and faith. As we've suffered through the difficulties of, of truth in general, including communications, which is we've found so much control, even on we were finding the spots of control on on our cell phones and the way they start choking down information, even on texts in certain places. And Patriots have been adaptive if we try to overcome that through like developments of secure phones, taking our data away out of their hands. Some use of sat phones, rise of the ham radio operations, which is massive in this nation. And even an increased emphasis on traditional means like letters and face-to-face meetings, which is fantastic because that gives you really core strength in a movement. But one of those places where a lot of that happened in communication was our churches. And under COVID, what we discovered is our churches, many, and I would say the majority of our churches, sold out. That they weren't God's homes. That they were just led by weak, and again, my word, feckless pastors. They were more concerned about their 501c3 and their salary than they were about preaching God's word into the people and putting the fire of truth within the bosoms of the many. That's been the hardest part, I think, in this whole fight for many is because the church was a critical part of their communication center. It was where they had fellowship. It's where they talked about things. It's where they could put things in shape. But our churches have long been degrading. They haven't taught the fire and brimstone speeches of what it is to fight for liberty. Instead, they've taught the acquiescence of get along at any cost. And that all comes again from the rules and regulations of the 501c3, which they sold their soul to. And it's opened the door for the, for the left in particular to go after and become insurgents. And then we've just had the general hypocrisy. And worse than that, we've had the sexual deviance that's occurred within church. The number of churches that have, have been many that have been touched by child abuse, child pedophilia, gay pastors, I could go on a list. And so the moral base in this nation has been bankrupted, and we're seeing that within this whole debate over life within the Roe versus Wade issue. At the center of that is a youth, which has been rightfully so, has questioned a lot of the purpose of the church because their exposure to it for a large degree across this nation has not been positive. And they have then found the migration to the left where they're promising 
a moralistic way of living based on legalist laws made by men, which is right out of Satan's playbook, to be quite frank. And when we get to that place, then you're finding it easy. It was easy for them to persuade a mass of people to follow along into this movement, which was going to offer them this new progressive view of the world where things like healthcare was considered to be a human right and we're no longer going to harm animals. We're simply going to eat food. Like this great post today, tweet today by The Economist, Western consumers should put aside their reservations about eating crickets and give plant-based burgers, 3D-printed steaks, and vat-grown tuna a try. Yeah, we're excited about that. And with that has come the religion. We've had a couple new religions arise out of the void in the true teaching of faith and relationship with Christ. We have seen the religion of climate change, the religion of science evolve, and those have swept up this youth to give them something to worship along with the promises of the billionaire elite, which have become the new religious class, offering them things like universal basic income uh, and free everything, which goes back to my comment at the beginning, the free shit society. So we are in a real challenge here, and the left is strong in its focus of of what it knows and what it's fighting for, but its weakness is ultimately its fact that it's arrogant and it's going to continue to be bold in its sense of antagonizing and uh, accusations, which is does nothing to build bridges, but it defeats them. Unfortunately, the right is going to be facing and I'll just call it the Patriot Movement, continues to face one of its biggest challenges, which is it tries to compromise on everything. And the left knows that. And I think it's worth stating that you're not going to win a war on compromise. And Christ didn't compromise. That's a critical part to this. We have got to gain our strength in what we're fighting for. At the center of all of that is our Declaration of Independence, which to me is the most pure and, and valid document out there, which ultimately gives us the clarity of what we have been given and the, the rights given by God, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and what we have the right to do when we lose them, which is not only it's our duty to overthrow such governments that cease to be part of the people and become despotism or tyranny. That's ultimately where we are. In order for that to work, though, and those are easy words to say, and it's easy words to get frustrated about when we say, like, well, why isn't anything happening? It goes back again to sentiment. The counterinsurgency is on the rise. It's moving well. It's growing. There's no timetable on it. There isn't going to be a group of great valiant warriors who are going to solve this. It's going to be the people. And the sentiment has to continue to grow to realize that the core problem here in this nation is an insurgent minority that has ultimately taken and seized control. And by seizing control of all these other domains of warfare, they have created a perception that they represent a majority. LGBTQ, AI plus garbage, that rainbow nonsense. They represent roughly 5 million people in the United States. Radical left Antifa BLM represent probably in the range of one to two million. 
if even that. The sympathizers, again, those that are willing to become part of something because they don't like what they what they're part of now, and they're just they want to feel part of something exciting and dynamic for the lack of probably because they have such purposeless life lifestyles. Those will range around twenty percent. So again, we're back to that 30% core of this insurgency, which on the whole is a lot of people. 30% of the United States is roughly 90 million people. And they're in critical domains. And I think that overall, we have, in order for you to appreciate what the counterinsurgency has to accomplish, a counterinsurgency is about hearts and minds. You're not going to have a war where you can you can have a war with 90 million versus the 270 million, roughly, or 240 million. But the 240 million aren't ideologically as focused and as determined as your 90 million. They're weak. They're not aligned. There's, you'll, have a, you'll have roughly a 90 million versus a 90 million at the end of the day because there's 30% of the patriots that are, and there's a bunch of people in the middle. But that's just civil war. And so that is what it, in the whole picture of this, if you really look at the, the counter movement, which there, it, there are people in play here that are working very hard to move this counterinsurgency forward at many levels. And there are others that have this same understanding that unless we develop a strong sentiment of around 80% and we dwindle that insurgent mass down to closer to its core 10%, you can quickly end up in a civil war that will ravage this country forever. And that's exactly what counter, what insurgencies want. All of that said, it comes back to a center point. Every single day when you get up, every single day when every one of us gets up, we have an extreme job to do in the middle of this war. And that is to communicate to as many people as possible the realities that we face and what is at stake. And to have these solid conversations, which build bridges and open people's eyes to the looming threats, we have to move beyond the politics and the volatility of Trump and, pol- and Republican Democrat, this nonsense. Because that is, those are designed intentionally to be landmines of divisiveness, intentionally placed so it's like an IED. You don't know when it's going to hit. When you bring it up, it immediately flares up an argument. Once we step aside from the political framework that has been put there before us, designed to keep us apart and we start to get back to being Americans where we can talk real issues. We're going to continue to win the sentiment fight. And as we win the sentiment fight, the counterinsurgency then begins to take firm hold. And as people wake up to the strength that they have in what they're losing and what they're fighting for, not just what they hate, you're going to see the left begin to wane. And right now, the progressive movement is under attack in a beautiful way. Because they're revealing truly what they believe in. They believe in collectivism. They believe in the confiscation of property. They believe in the redistribution of wealth by force. They believe in the mandatory statement of who has to eat what based on a greater cause of global warming. They believe that everybody has to give up their vehicle to drive an electric car, which is one of the dumbest arguments on, in t- history, considering that electric cars are primarily fueled by petroleum products in the end because you can't get energy otherwise. They believe in the mandate of vaccines. They believe in the stripping of your freedom. And they believe all this because they are okay with it until it hits their life 
but it is about them and what their wants are on, imposed on the others. There are many problems within the society that we would arguably could probably sit down over a intelligent, non-emotional conversation and agree that we have to fix a number of things. But the problem with the ideological left that's driving this insurgency is they're in a frenzy of emotions and they lack the cognitive capability to work through a broader discussion. They're easily triggered and it leaves for a very difficult place for us to be. So that what that means is the continued input of films like 2000 Mules and the continued input of the documents that come out of Pfizer, like the 80,000 document data dump, the continued realization of gas costs increasing to where it's pinching on budgets, the in increasing shortages of food, which in my opinion is a wonderful thing because it's squeezing people to start facing what they're doing. The continued increase in college costs, the increasing suffering of college debt, these sorts of issues, the continued rising of house prices and the inability to buy and understanding who is actually owning things, not just this ideological nonsense or idealist nonsense that somehow it's going to be given back to Mother Earth. The continued awareness that elections are rigged, it doesn't matter the party. That's one of the brilliance of 2000 Mules is not whether specifically Trump should be back in power. It's the fact that the elections period are rigged. All of these things put together, and most importantly in all of this, is a greater outreach to sharing the true living part of Scripture, of what it is for each one of us. To stay away from many of the very fueled and volatile topics that come out of a bankrupt church system, but instead to talk core values and to use scripture as a living language to me are powerful ways that we reach these people and continue to build the bridges to raise the sentiment to that 80% mark. Because once we get there, there's a momentum that kicks in that's unstoppable. We're getting there quickly. But once you hit a tipping point of about 80%, the country will reset itself and it will not be easy. None of this is going to be easy. But the more that you dwindle down the left and its progressive base to where it realizes that it's truly a minority, it will become violent for a time. But slowly and steadily, the country gains power and confidence in what it's fighting for and what we're trying to return to. We're not wanting to go back to a society of, that we already did. We are truly trying to make America great again based on incredible documents, the doc Declaration of Independence and the Constitution fully aware that there was not perfection in those and there's opportunity to improve. But in this day and age, getting back to a simpler life, less run by corporate nonsense and more down to the hard work that's needed by each one of us to take accountability in our lives and to reset this nation for a course for our future generations. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight very humbled eyes open for the challenges that we face before us in a time when there is so much going on in change and change of heart, change of minds. Father, we pray right now for the many that are wandering and those that are each and every day are getting up wondering what to do, just to be empowered with the idea that speaking truth is the center point to winning this fight. And as we speak truth and we carry that word, the word with us, the relationship with Christ with us each and every day and trust in you 
that we'll be given the words and the opportunities to engage people to build the bridges, to temper the angers, to increase the sentiment to an understanding this nation that this nation needs to return to putting you back on the throne and creating a point where we the people rule this land with you, not our government dictating to us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, patriots. Lots to consume tonight. But it's important to really appreciate how far we've come and also where we have to go. Insurgency, counterinsurgency. It's real. It's warfare. We've been at war for a long time. And this war isn't going to fix itself quickly. But it is going to continue to grow in momentum as long as we stay diligent and focused as to what we're fighting for. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and the resetting of God back on the throne of this nation. Those are the principal issues which we fight for each and every day. Not idealisms of trying to give power to corporations or more trust in government, but quite to the contrary, to take accountability each and every one of us in our lives and to live as sovereign people in a nation where we take responsibility for what our lives are and where our lives go. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. But we need a lot of prayers for the awakening and healing of this nation. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. 
We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 